Hello everyone, welcome back to New Hampshire Business Show. My name is Chris Pastrana and today we're here with Lynn Collins from Southern New Hampshire Drug Testing LLC. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having <laughs> me, Chris. <laughs> all right, cool. So tell me a little bit about yourself and the business and where it all started. And what sure. Uh, let's see, my background. I have an interesting background, but um, basically um, I've been in the medical technology field for many years. So a medical technologist is a person that works with the laboratory specimens in a laboratory. So it could be the person that draws your blood, but uh, it's not just drawing the blood, we also test the blood. So all the samples will go back to the laboratory. So like when you go to your doctor's appointment, you get your blood drawn for glucose, cholesterol, CBC. Mm -hmm. All that blood goes to different departments in the laboratory, and um, they're run on instruments. And the results come out, and we report them to the doctor but we're trained in many facets. I mainly worked in chemistry, which I just loved, where we have to look to make sure the, um, the tests work properly and the instruments working properly, uh, weekly maintenance, different things are done to the instrument, yeah. things like that. But um, to make sure the results are good. And then if it's an abnormal result, we double check that and then we alert the doctor as soon as we can. So that's the med tech piece of it. And that's um, a huge part of the hospital. Um, I did, so I started at Salem Hospital, worked in chemistry for quite a few years, and then I had a chance to work in infertility, so that's the favorite part of my job. I became an andrologist, and um, I trained at the Brigham. So an andrologist is the part of the infertility program uh, that works with the male infertility, okay. where men might have inf infertility issues. So I'm the lab where the male um, partner brings the specimens, semen specimens, to analyze for semen analysis. Um, so I was 13 years in chemistry. I set up an infertility lab after that for 12 and a half years. I managed oh. that. And I was trained at Brigham Women's Hospital. And this program was in Dameron's Mass at the Women's Health Center. Um, in that program, I did sperm washing for artificial insemination. That's a procedure that's done so um, the specimen's treated in a certain way So it ha for the procedure of artificial insemination. We had a non-donor sperm bank. Yeah. And um, that's a sperm bank where uh, the gentlemen sperm bank their own specimen for their own use. Yeah. Could be because of cancer. Could be because we had pilots that were on and off. They worked a week and off a week. And when their partner would need specimens for a procedure IVF, gone. they would be gone. Yeah. Um, and some uh, some men's sperm counts were very low, so uh, we would sperm bank them for it just in case they needed more specimen to help the sperm count during a procedure. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did semen analysis for all the different hospitals in the North Shore area. And as infertility semen analysis is done differently. Uh, now than it did years ago. So it's very precise and many tests are done during that to, to help the doctor understand what's going on in the male infertility. Yeah. So from there, um, um, and again that was my passion, I just loved it. Um, and I actually, uh, other than the drug right now, I did write a book on infertility and it's a book for to help patients get through the program. It's called Sperm Tales. Just thought I'd mention that, but that <laughs> took me six years to write. Yeah. Um, and this is to help because I saw the day-to-day -day struggles of what patients went through. Yeah. Because um, infertility, when you think of it, infertility is the only program that a couple will go through that you both go to the same doctor at that time. 
normally you have your physical, you go to your doctor, your partner yeah. will go to her doctor. But this is a program where the bo two of you go and see the doctor and to find out why you're having trouble having a baby. Yeah. So I did that for 12 and a half years and actually worked at it even longer in different programs. Um, but um, I um, finally, at some point, I, I said to myself, I got a call back from the Brigham at one point and they wanted me to come back. And I, I live in Newton, New Hampshire, near Haverhill, so it's a little bit of a truck to get into Boston every day. So um, uh, I decided, I started looking up businesses I could start on my own yeah. that um, related to what I really like. And I knew I couldn't do infertility from my house. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, Probably no, not. I couldn't do that. <laughs> so I looked into where, I'm, where I like is the laboratory field. So I get into drug testing and it's actually drug collections. I do have some testing where I can do instant testing. So I did some research and I um, be became certified. I have a CPC, which is a certified professional collector for DOT. So I'm DOT certified for all collections for the Department of Transportation. Uh, we follow their very strict regulations um, to do collections and follow the whole program. But I'm not just a collector. I have my own company, so I'm a TPA, which is a third-party administrator. So with that, I can do policies for companies, for employers. Um, for setting up a drug-free workplace. I have training for employees and supervisors. And then, of course, the drug testing. And um, so when I, I started in 2016, and when I, um, I'm, I'm up, the, the biggest part of my company is it's mobile. So I was strictly mobile at the beginning. So I started to, like, knock on doors and see different people and companies, and I'd ask them, um, or they'd ask me, they'd go, um, hey, Lynn, how would you do pre-employment testing when you're mobile? And I thought to myself, hmm, that's a good question. So um, then, so that was one issue I had. The second issue I'd talk to people. Now, there are companies, because they're DOT, they need, they need to be in a program. Mm -hmm. So, and part of that, say, the truck drivers with CDL licenses. Um, Truck drivers that have the CDL license have to have a medical physical every two years. Okay, so you get that from a medical examiner. Not, not all of those have to be drug tested. The ones that have to be drug tested are the CDL drivers that are driving a vehicle uh, that weighs 26,001 uh, pounds. Mm -hmm. So that's your big trucks. Yeah. Could be a smaller truck that's towing a, t um, okay. a, towing a vehicle on the back or a trailer that carries a weight of that weight, 26,001 mm -hmm. pounds. Um, any ha truck that has hazardous materials, that would be your oil trucks, your propane trucks, gasoline trucks, okay? Um, anyone that drives a vehicle that has 16 passengers or more, including the driver on it. Yeah. Okay? So those are examples of, so not all that need to be drug tested. They have to be driving certain vehicles. Okay. But then that's just the Federal Motor Carrier Group. You also have the FAA, which is your airlines. You have the FRA, yeah. which is your railroad. Your FTA, which is your transit. And your Coast Guard. So those are the different modes of transportation with DOT. Hmm. So they're all in this DOT program of drug and alcohol testing. And um, so um, that's so... Anyway, so I, I, I was trained in that. So with the TPA, again, we can do policies. I do drug testing and, um, and as much as I can, I guess. <laughs> so um, 
oh, I know. So when the um, when I was out searching for businesses, that if a company was already had the uh, drug testing and DOT physicals at one place and mm -hmm. one center, they wouldn't want to switch just to me for the drug testing. They'd yeah. like to have the whole thing. So I started looking for an office, and yeah. about a year later. And I strategically put myself in a chiropractor's office because chiropractors can study and become medical examiners and do the DOT physicals. Yeah. So I'm trying to make my business a one-stop shop so that we can at least get those two pieces. Yeah. So um, it's we're coming soon. I'm hoping it's the end of the summer, but when the chiropractor's finished studying and takes her exam, I will be able to offer DOT physicals at my site, plus um, obviously drug testing. Hmm. Um, and pre-employment, like I said, um, it's kind of hard to do mobile pre-employment. So again, that helps me in the office because now, because when you go in for a job and you go for an interview, you really don't go back unless you go for a second interview. Yeah. So, um, you know, when, is you, when do you get that drug test done? So you usually get an email from the employer saying, go here to get this drug test. So um, now I have an office, they can go to see me. I just became a Quest Preferred Collector because I have an office. Yeah. So any company that has a contract with Quest Collect Quest Laboratory, um, you can send. I'm on the list if you're in the nearby Hampton area. So I found an office mm -hmm. like in Hampton, um, New Hampshire, and um, it's right off of 95. So um, it's great. A lot of I do see a lot of truckers. I hope to see more. And there yeah. is a, there is a little availability for them to park their truck. To come and see me but anyway so now that i have the office um which is really great i'm doing the more pre-employment testing for companies and um, soon the dot physicals will start um, but the mobile piece the nice piece about mobile for other testing so when we talk about testing for drug testing you've all heard of pre-employment there's random testing post-accident return to duty and follow-up um, if a company has employees that need testing, instead of sending those employees off to Quest, so they're leaving the job, they're getting in their car maybe, and they're driving, and they're getting in traffic. So they could be, I talk to employees and they tell me when they send their people off to, for testing, they could be gone one, one to two hours. Because when they get to Quest, Quest is, is testing other people for other things. Yeah. Um, and from what I understand, not every person in the lab there um, is, they could be, but um, they have selected people that are DOT trained to do these collections. Not everybody can do these collections. You have to be certified. So you're mixed in with the regular crowd of people that are there to give their blood work for a physical or different things. So that's why the, um, the waiting room can be full and you can wait. So by me being mobile, I bring all the equipment with me come into the building all I need is a, the best is a single bathroom but I'll take any bathroom and I have to uh, prepare it for collection and I'll mention that in a moment and um, I need a clean writing area and you send the employee to me we go through filling out the paperwork do the collection and they're back to work in 20 15 minutes um, hmm. so it's fairly quick to do a DOT collection for a urine is about 23 steps yeah. So it's very strict, and I'm sure if anyone's had a collection, you see you go in, the sink's taped up, the toilet, the flushes taped up, the water's blue. But we have to take everything out of the bathroom that can 
that could be added to the specimen. We just remove everything. We check everything. So there's many steps in the collection yeah. doing that. So that's for urine. Um, but that's what I'm trained in. And so um, I know um, um, probably people have read about different types of specimens, and each specimen has their own benefits. And um, urine is one specimen, obviously. Um, new testing is oral specimen, it, although it's been around, oral saliva. Okay. Okay, saliva is another type of specimen that we can take for these tests. Um, the detection window for drugs is less for picking up the drug than a urine specimen. So what happens is when someone either ingests, smokes, or takes a pill, um, the, in your mouth you have salivary glands and the blood's right there in your mouth. So say for chewing uh, marijuana like a brownie or even yeah. just taking a puff, um, smoking it, um, the smoke, it gets in your mouth and it goes right into the bloodstream right from that. So it starts right into the mouth. And um, hmm. so drugs can be picked up in an oral specimen starting almost an hour, an hour or two from when the drug's taken and can last up to two days. Some drugs can last three days. Um, when we talk about drugs in a general sense, um, you know, everybody's different and that's what you got to think about when you get results back and you try to understand them. Yeah. Everybody's body size is different. Everybody's metabolism is different. So, you know, you and I could take, say, the same drug, and it might be found quicker in my specimen or, or longer in yours, or it may stay longer in yours than me. So there's a lot of variables that go into um, drug testing. And yeah. when a result's reported, it's qualitative. It's either it's there or it's not there. So it's positive or negative. But a lot depends on how long things stay in the system uh, by how often you take the drug, the concentration of the drug, the strength of the drug, yeah. and um, your metabolism. So you got to keep that in mind. Everybody's different. Hmm. Um, do you have any questions? No. I mean, we're yeah, through it pretty. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. It's, it's a very interesting conversation to have because I know this is the part that scares a lot of people. <laughs> With is the, when this when the drug testing comes up? Is it for people to be tested? Um, yeah, like yeah. when employees like, okay, I have to go in for drug testing. Yeah, and there, even if you don't do drugs, there's always like that. Yeah, I know. Like well, fear. so I, yeah. <laughs> well, it's very simple. It's a let me go over that. I'll help you with that because I'm I. That's the first thing I do when someone comes into my office. They have a seat, and I say to them, "Have you had a drug test before?" And some say no, and so I explain. So basically, what happens is you, you if. If you've ever, okay, you come into the office. So this is my job. I've been giving, um, either been given an email or a phone call that you're coming, or you've called me and said, I'd like to set up an appointment. It's best to set up an appointment with me because I'm on the road. And um, my, I'm in my office on three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, but like today I'm here with you. And my office hours are eight to 4.30, but, um, or I could be out testing. Yeah. So um, I have a sign on my door, if I'm not there during the hours, just call me and I will book the appointment and so forth. But, so it's best to make an appointment. But anyways, you have to have an order to come in, okay? That's, most people have that. So you come in, you give me your order. And so my job is to identify you. So you always want to make sure you have a photo ID on you, okay? That's like your license. 
Perfect. Yeah. That's, that's all you need. So I'll ask for your license. And so what we do is I might start if there's um, the chain of custody form can be done manually or I might have it in the computer. So I'm going to start asking you some questions. Um, you might have an employee ID from your um, work, place of work, or um, DOT, we have to get social security numbers. And that's a reason for following people from one job to the next. The easiest way to follow them is through their social. Because um, if you're in the DOT, they, your information goes up into statistics, a big program. And you just need to be followed where you go. So they yeah. can follow your drug testing and alcohol testing uh, past history. But for regular employees, I might ask just the last four of your social. I would never take, if I didn't have an employee number, I would never take your full social. Just the last four. And I get your name and first and last name. But my main thing is to identify you. Yeah. That's the main thing. Next piece is I'm going to have you stand. If it's a urine, let's talk about a urine specimen. If you're, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I usually, if, if it's um, female, I ask you if you can leave your, or your like, pocketbook and things out in your car. And so you don't bring anything in other than your ID. Then you don't have to worry about your wallet and your money and things like that. But generally, men have wallets. So I ask you to stand up and you empty your pockets. So you just take everything out of your pockets, put them on my desk, and you show me that your pockets are empty. So you pull out the little rabbit ears, pull out so they call it rabbit ears. Then I have you turn around. I can't touch you. I don't touch anybody. So you just show me that there's nothing in your pockets. And for men that have their wallets, I have them open their wallet in front of me. And you just open the little cubby areas to make sure I don't see anything that could be used for suspicion or something. If everything looks good, I just I have you put your wallet back in your pocket so you can take that back. Okay. So, but you leave everything on my desk, your cell phone, your keys, and anything else that came out of your pockets. Okay. So, I ask you to come over to where my bench is, and I have some washcloths. I have some cloths that are wet, moist cloths that you pull out and wash your hands. Yeah. So, I ask you to clean your hands well, go underneath the nails, and just clean very, very good. And then there's a trash can. Pop it in the trash. So, then I ask you to select a specimen cup, and I have a few out on the table. You select a cup, and I open it, and I take the seal off, so I want to show you that this container is all sealed, that it's not, you know, it's sealed. So I peel that off. Inside will be a specimen bag, mm -hmm. and will be um, one or two little plastic containers that we're going to put the urine in eventually. So, anyway, so I explained to you. So now, meanwhile, the bathroom's set up. I've taken all the products out of the bathroom. I've taped the sink up. And I put bluing agent in the toilet, and I put some tape over the, the flusher, the handle. And what I say to you is, I show you on the specimen cup how much urine I need. And you can give me more, but I don't have a cover at the cup, so about halfway in the cup would be good. And I show you, so I say when you go down to the bathroom, I say, when you're finished, don't flush the toilet and don't wash your hands. I stand outside the room waiting for you to hand me I ask you to hand me the specimen when you come out yeah. and that's it we walk so then the whole time I want the so during this whole process I'm only working with you only one person at a time I wait for you to produce your specimen you give it to me you watch me we walk back to the room mm -hmm. okay meanwhile I've checked the temperature on the urine okay to make sure it's within within proper temperature uh, we have to do that to make sure that 
the urine, if you're producing your urine, it's coming out of your body, and your body temperature is 98.6, yeah. so it should have some type of temp. So you come back to my office. Now I take one of those plastic containers. It's got a really tight snap top to it. Mm -hmm. um, some I look in the computers. I know when to, we need the minimum amount of urine we need to send is 30 mLs. So some, some employees might want a split specimen. A split specimen is two samples, or a single spe specimen is one. So I fill, according to what it says, the different vials, one or two. Mm -hmm. I snap it back. Now, you're watching me do this with your specimen. There are labels on the bottom of the form. So we have a chain of custody form that has two labels, labeled A and B. Um, I take the A off and put the label on the top of the container with the urine and bring the, the sides down on the label. And then I do B if I had to happen to do two containers. I can't, I have to be very careful not to tear that label. It's very, very sticky. This is a tamper-proof seal. Yeah. Okay. So I label your container and flatten it and make sure it's on there nice and tight. And I'll go write the, today's date. There's an area to put the date. And then I hold it and the donor, you're considered the donor that's given me the collection. So the donor puts his initials, his or her initials on the container. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then um, we finish the paperwork and that's um, you sign with your name, sign print your, your today's service, the, your phone number, your cell phone and your date of birth. Then I sign my name and then I go through the sheet with you to make sure everything's filled out properly, that we have your last four of the show show, we have your name, we have uh, the reason for the test, and that I, uh, there's a little box that I checked off your photo ID, and that there's a reason. Is it pre-employment? Is it a random test? Is it what for whatever reason? I checked that your temperature was good, and if it was a split or single specimen, and there's a comment line, a remarks. Do I put anything down? If everything went smoothly, I'd put no or none. And then this piece of paper, if we're doing it manually, the chain of custody form has got five sheets. So once everything's signed and looks good, I tear off the sheet. And that first sheet gets folded and put in the bag. So we take those one or two vials, your specimen goes into a, a bag that has two openings. Mm -hmm. The front opening, I put your specimens in, and the paperwork goes in the back. And that's just because if a, the urine was to leak out, the paper doesn't get all wet from yeah. it. It keeps it separated. Then I take the seal off the plastic bag, fold it forward, and the bag's sealed, and you're good to go. So you stay there through that whole process, and it's simple. Um, it's thorough. So, again, my job is, so a, a big part of the job is not only is the collection important, but the paperwork is just as important. Because yeah. when that specimen gets to the laboratory, the person that inspects it before it even goes to any testing looks through the paperwork and make, thing, make sure it's filled out properly. Certain things is um, a flaw here and there with DOT. If I miss to maybe check off the temperature, they're going to let me know and they're going to, to, I have to really see it or they'll let me know and we, I have to fill out paperwork to say the temperature was, with most, you know, was in with, within range. But most of the time, I'm so thorough, I just look every, I'm very attention-oriented, detailed, so I make sure everything's checked off properly. Yeah, after you see it a bunch of times, you probably pretty yeah. good idea what the paperwork's supposed to look like. Right, yep. And that's the end of the test. And if 
basically, if you can produce a specimen right away, that's why when you call and make an appointment, I try to remind people to watch their bathroom habits. Don't go to the bathroom too soon before you have to come and see me because yeah. you, you want to be able to produce a specimen. And we have to do, we do have to have a certain volume. So if there's not enough there, if there's not enough there, we have to do a new procedure that's called a shy bladder. So say you go into the bathroom and you produce a specimen and the volume's not there. Because if I send it into the lab, they're going to they're talk to me. Mm -hmm. So we have to start a procedure. I can't use that specimen. So yeah. I have to dump that specimen. But... I will have you sit in the waiting room. I have a waiting room there, and I will give you so much water. You can drink so much water during a three-hour period, and I have to document how much water you get. I have to document when it starts. And I will explain to you that, you know, make sure you can, like, don't tell me I think I can go and then try again and it's not enough. Just sit still. Usually with some water, if you wait an hour, an hour maybe and with some water you should be able to produce another specimen but everybody's yeah. different you don't have to drink the water you can do whatever you like but I have to document it and that's a shy bladder and that's a big um, in DOT that's what happens and the person hmm. has to wait because once you start the testing you really got to stay and produce a specimen you can't say well can I come back in a half an hour no you got to stay put and we got to collect the specimen. Yeah. And I can never add more than one specimen, separate specimen together to equal that volume. You can't do that. I have to only have one specimen for that volume. Yeah. Hmm. That's a urine specimen. Um, so other samples that have come along, hair testing is big. And um, hair testing, um, so like I said, there's different specimens and each specimen has characteristics yeah. and that are good and that the detection window is longer. Hair samples, um, your hair grows on a healthy person, your hair grows a half an inch a month. So we are to collect an inch and a half of hair. And this okay. gives this gives 90 days of information. Hmm. So whenever you ingest a drug, it's in your bloodstream. So you need blood, blood grows your hair, blood does everything. So in the so they call it a, a root. They call it a hair follicle. Yeah. So people are thinking when they call me, are you you know getting the follicle? If you've ever pulled a gray hair out of your head, it hurts. Yeah. And that's the follicle. If you look at the end of it, that's the follicle. I'm not doing that to you. <laughs> we are. Um, no, I take a pair of scissors and. Um, so first, I look to see if I can get an inch and a half because they really want us to send that. I can't send less. So for gentlemen like you that have very short hair on your head, um, I can collect body hair. And so I do that quite often because a lot of men do have, there are a lot of men are bald. Mm -hmm. And um, so um, body hair is I collect from the armpit, I collect from the chest, the legs, and the arms. I don't go to any private areas. Um, body hair, um, head hair, cannot be mixed with body hair. So either I collect head hair and that's it. So there's enough I get from your head, which is usually the back of your head. Yeah. And I wanted to say when I do collect head hair, um, I lift the hair up. I'm not going to remove hair from you so that people will be able to notice that. I would never do that. So I lift the hair up. I, I have pins, like if you were to go to the hairdresser, girls are used to, women are used to this, you pin the hair back. But you grab some hair, you pin it back. And I collect hair underneath, so then I have hair to fold over it, so that you wouldn't notice it. Hmm. 
for the head hair, we're to collect um, 120 strands is usually the collection amount. Okay. And you try to take it from three different areas. I don't take that much from one area. So I just pin the hair up, put some hair, you know, between my fingers and kind of, and we got, I got a scissor. I just clip it with a pair of scissors mm -hmm. as close to the scalp as I can. Yeah. Okay. And then that's considered the root end. So when I lay my hair down in my container, my proper um, laboratory specimen aluminum foil they give us to lay it in, we have to put all the roots to one end so that the lab knows which is the end, the root end. Okay. Okay. So, um, so that's how you do it from the head. Now the body here, I have to get the size of a small cotton ball. So okay. um, a lot of men have... Um, a lot of chest hair and so forth. So, um, and I scissor it. I can't shave it. Some yeah. places I might have to shave, like your legs or something. The hair is very fine because the guys don't normally shave, the, shave their legs, so it's very fine. But, however, I can mix different parts of the body here together, and I form, I put it together to form a small cotton ball, and that's what I can send in. Okay. But, um, so this information will give 90 days of drug history with that. And sometimes the body hair can give more because think of the body hair grows slower than the head hair. Yeah. Okay. So it could give more information. But we do the same drug panels as we can do, pretty much the same drug panels as uh, are in urine we can do with the body hair. So some employees like um, hair testing, gives them a little more history of drug, drug habits or, yeah. Hmm. Nail is a new, a new one. So the courts are using, courts are using hair. And nails. Uh, nails are also another uh, good sample that they discovered. I haven't done too much of that, but um, mm. I had to buy a little jeweler scale because they need so many grams of... I bought the scale for um, uh, for measuring the amount of hair. Some labs want 150 grams, or they'll say 120 strands. Some of the panels, the drug panels, need more hair, so... I like to, the thing is, I want to send enough specimen, not that I take a lot, but I want to make sure I have enough so we don't, they say that in the laboratory field, if something's not, if su supply's not sufficient, it's Q&S, quantity not sufficient. Yeah. We don't want a specimen Q&S, because yeah. that means you got to come back again, so yeah. we don't want that. So we try <laughs> to prevent that. And so, um, but anyways, a lot of employees are using hair testing in certain aspects. Um, thing about you know hair testing like urine sometimes we have people that try to pass different specimens to us that might be someone else's specimen yeah or um, the synthetic urine out there hmm. so um, certain other specimens take that whole part of the picture out of the picture yeah and that's employees um, that's another way I can explain that to employers to um, help them decide on what's the best specimen for what they'd like to do. Hmm. But actual sample testing and the whole drug thing is really simple. It's it's not really, if you've given a urine specimen when a doctor, see nowadays the doctors, they, years ago they used to want a urine specimen every time you went to the doctor to check your urine. Because a urine specimen is really good to look for if you're going to be diabetic, there's going to be sugar in the urine. You shouldn't normally find sugar in the urine. Yeah. So, um, it's a quick test to see how the body functions are and that it's running properly. Um, nowadays, though, because of insurance, a lot of insurance, you really, I guess you have to have a reason of why you want a urine tested. So they don't always do a urine specimen. So 
people growing up, they don't, they're not used to giving a urine specimen. And, you know, I'm in the medical field. You know, everybody has their job for one reason. And some people are in medicine, other people aren't. And some people could never be a doctor or a nurse. And I've handled a lot of different specimens. <laughs> and it doesn't bother me. Yeah. But other people I might talk to, say my husband, and say, I asked him, does he, would he like to be part of my business? No. He is an engineer, and he doesn't want anything to do with collecting a urine specimen. No, thank you. And he's had drug testing for the companies he's worked for. But, uh, Nolan, that's your job. That's funny. So, but that does it. But see, everybody's got a job suited for themselves, right? Yeah. So, That's too know. funny. Yeah. Cool. So, you talked about marijuana earlier. Yeah. So, this is a fun conversation oh, yeah. fun to get conversation. into. Jeez, so, yeah, everybody's thinking, <laughs> this could be another day talking, no. Yeah. Well, so marijuana, so we all know about, um, so we have medical marijuana mm -hmm. and recreational. So um, so I know employers, um, and particularly, I'm in Hampton, but, you know, I'm on the, basically, New Hampshire and Massachusetts are right uh, next to one another. So we're, obviously, and we're, we're, employers are seeing people that they have employees from Massachusetts, and they're working in New Hampshire, or vice versa. Yeah. So, um, so employees are really confused because the, the law is the difference between the two states. Um, you have medical marijuana and recreational in Massachusetts. Um, from what I understand, the first store opened in Massachusetts, but it's a store that previously it's in, I think, Milford, Mass. Okay. And it, um, <clears throat> it's made marijuana for medical marijuana, and they've given the okay to make it for recreational, but they're not allowed to sell it to people to have like you or I walk into the store, but they can sell it once the store is open, they're able to have, they have a section of recreational marijuana that can be sold to um, stores that are gonna be opening up. Okay. Massachusetts is um, taking their time, I think, with opening some of the stores and um, they're just watching. They have history of other states. I think right now I brought this in. Um, much up to date, approximately 30 states and the District of Columbia have legalized marijuana for medicinal use, mm -hmm. and nine have legalized it for recreational use. <clears throat> so we all have heard, you know, so I talked about DOT, so uh, marijuana is a Schedule One drug, mm -hmm. and the Schedule One drug is any drug that um, really has no medical use. Um, I might not be saying that right. I should have brought my definition, but a Schedule One is a drug that um, uh, well, yeah, I, I always I forget what it is. It's like I've heard it a few times. Like either dangerous. It's or... It's dangerous. It's I it's like it has no it has no medicinal value. Yeah. Well, it does with medical marijuana. See, I didn't think it's into something else. Well, that's 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 an interesting conversation the, to have. You know, right. on the on the other side of things. Right, but, but federally, yeah. so federally they say that, so with DOT, ma marijuana, no way in, at all. It's a zero mm -hmm. tolerance for um, any of that. So if you have a job and you're working in a DOT, you can be randomly chosen. And um, I did mention that different type of tests, pre-employment, random and so forth. So random is uh, for DOT, your name goes on a list and there's a certain percentage that's pulled every quarter. So there's four quarters in a year, so you could be picked four times out of the year, possibly, to be picked for 
drug testing. And obviously one of the tests, one of the drugs that they test is marijuana. They have a five panel that they do. Um, let me just say this, DOTs uh, will only do urine testing. They won't do any other sample. At some point they may look at other samples, possibly oral testing, saliva, but right now it's strictly urine. They, their five panel consists of amphetamines, which includes meth amphetamines. So it's amphetamines, uh, marijuana, cocaine, opiates, and PCP. So those are kind of the top categories. And now the new five panel for opiates, um, DOT started in January of this year, January 2018, to mm -hmm. extend it to the synthetic opiates, okay. which is oxycodone, oxymorphone, hydrocodone, and hydromorphone. So these are the drugs. Um, back in the past, they did for their opiates were morphine and codeine. So people, they were still, they were starting to have accidents with people that were on OxyContin and it wasn't being picked up because they weren't testing for it, even though it's an opiate. Hmm. So now they've extended that panel and this is be and because of our opioid problem, epidemic. Yeah. So we want to keep the roads safe and everything and safe for, safe for everyone. So they've extended that panel. So now all the panels do do the four synthetics with the urine, okay? Um, but so you'll never, maybe some point, but I really doubt that you'll ever see the federal government say that they'll okay marijuana. So, um, you know, there are effects. If you've done marijuana, we know that there are effects with your driving ability and things like this. Um, you have too many drinks, you can't drive. Yeah. You smoke too much marijuana, and it's, it's a different effect to everybody. Everybody has a different effect. Um, but it does, it does, it's, there is proven that it, it does hurt the senses and it hurts your, um, when you're driving, your judgment on, you know, driving. Usually I think people drive a little slower with marijuana sometimes. Um, they might drive faster with alcohol, but anyways, it does affect you in certain ways. So, um, federally you'll never see marijuana, um, I don't think, okay. So now it goes to a state level, and states are um, have a choice if they want to legalize it or not. So um, what happens with um, employers, let's take Massachusetts for a second. Okay, the one law they have is in Massachusetts for an employer to do random testing, so that's quarterly testing, whatever, whatever they want to set it up for. They could be monthly, usually it's quarterly. So they set up this program. They, the state wants them to only do random testing to safety-sensitive positions. Mm -hmm. And safety-sensitive positions, here's a definition for safety-sensitive. It's a job or position where an employee holding that position has a responsibility for his or her safety and others', others safety. So it would be very dangerous if an employee did drugs or alcohol. So yeah. it's to protect themselves from safety to be safe and to protect others so you don't hurt others. Mm -hmm. There's many examples of safety sensitive. Some are very easy and some are you got to think about maybe, but anybody that's driving and it could be a truck driver down to someone. Uh, nowadays there's a lot of banking services, but I can remember a lot of people would go make deposits at banks during the day. Well, right there that person's in a safety sensitive position. Yeah. Uh, some services now, I understand, you can do it from the work, so I don't know how many people are still going to the bank on a daily thing, <laughs> but they could be. 
But um, going into people's homes, think of this one. Um, when people when people take drugs and they get addicted, you know, your brain takes over. It's not so, you know, the brain starts working and it works on the, the synapses, the, the neurosynapses in your brain, and it changes. It, it could be quickly. It depends on how much you do and how young you are. You're very young. Your brain's not fully developed. Um, and it really makes it affects parts of the brain that helps you make those important decisions that you need to make. And if you can't make those decisions because the drug's taking over, then you're going to be stealing. Think of the crime that we have. If it, a lot of it, if you really listen to what happens, a lot comes back to some type of drug use. Yeah. So people, so once you're addicted, you need the drug. You you need it, you, and that's all you do every day is think of how I'm going to get the drug. If you, if you can't get much and you're using it up that quick, however you're thinking, but you need to get money to pay for it and get it. So if you if you've gone through all your money or you're working for an employee employer, you know I say to people, start people form habits. So are you finding things missing at work? Are other coworkers finding money missing? Things start to happen. Yeah. So you start making decisions that you shouldn't be doing. So um, back to marijuana. So that's the state law is you have to be in a safety sensitive position. So if you have a, if you have workers that are on the phone behind a desk doing paperwork, Massachusetts says they're not really safety sensitive, so you shouldn't be doing random testing to them. But you can do it to your other employees. You know, you have a big manufacturing company. You have the front end people that probably in the, you know, HR department, working at the desk, but then mm -hmm. you have the actual manufacturing on another side, so you'd be doing your random dirty manufacturing. With New Hampshire, you can test anybody in any test you want. But, um, you know, the, um, with the legalization and looking at other states, and I just spoke to a girl yesterday that came into my office, and um, we were talking, because she's from Colorado, so Colorado's been recreational for four years yeah and um, uh, yeah I talked about different things I've read different articles because I have a co-worker a friend that works out there and the ER departments are have a high increase of ER emergencies because of driving issues because of marijuana mm -hmm. um, so um, but you know I just kind of was listening to her and I um, just listening to what she sees and it's it's big out there. It, they actually have buses to bring people <laughs> when you first get into Colorado, different areas to bring them to the stores and so forth. But um, again, um, so with marijuana, again, safety sensitive positions, um, DOT, no way. Um, so what employees need to do, um, employers, excuse me, employers need to do, they need to have so I can ha one of the things my services I can offer is a drug-free workplace policy. And what does that in, in, incur? What does that happen? Or what does it make up? Um, with marijuana, you need a very, very strong policy. So you need a strong policy, and you need to follow it to the T. So as an employee, you can do what you want, but... Um, I know what I wanted to say. A lot of court cases, we're waiting for a lot of court cases to come out to see, and these are lawyers are waiting to see how different court cases that have been brought to court already about med, uh, medical marijuana. Mm -hmm. 
and there was a big case in Massachusetts. And um, so medical marijuana, um, to, to be able to get medical marijuana in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, there's certain um, diagnoses you need. So you need to, um, I actually went to a medical marijuana doctor to talk to them in Stoughton, Mass, and to find out the process. Um, when someone, so what happens is when someone um, has a symptom, so it could be Crohn's, a diagnosis, Crohn's disease, cancer. Um, originally, medical marijuana was meant for people that had very bad cancers and so forth yeah. and that needed help because it helps your appetite and it helps with pain. And they've done many studies and medical marijuana does do a lot of good things. Um, but as times moved on, um, it seems that it helps even more and more diagnoses. Yeah. So Massachusetts, um, they have um, th their um, wording for who should be receiving medical marijuana is, um, well, what I want to try to say is New Hampshire has very strict diagnoses that you have to have to be able to get medical marijuana where Massachusetts is a little different, but it's still you need a strong diagnosis. Yeah. So once you get that diagnosis, you go see a medical marijuana doctor and you sit down and talk with him or her for a period of time and you you talk about your condition and you might have to show um, some medical paperwork from your regular doctor to show your diagnosis and prove it and so forth. Once you, once, so you get an okay from the medical marijuana doctor saying that he recommends that you get this medical marijuana card. Mm -hmm. That still goes to the state of Massachusetts and the state of Massachusetts reviews it and if, if you're given a card, they will mail you a card. Um, now, all the cost of this is your own cost. Insurance doesn't cover this. Mm -hmm. So it's all your own cost to go to have the consult with the doctor to, to begin with. Yeah. So then once you get your card, you go into a registry. And from what I understand, the registry also looks at all your other prescription medications you're on. So mm -hmm. they're able to see all the medicines because they want to make sure that if you're going to be taking this drug that you need to make sure you have no side effects with other drugs. Yeah. So, so they need to see everything you're taking. You get your card in the mail. The card's good from what I understand three years, but you have to see the doctor every year or, you, or it won't be valid. So even though the date's valid, you have to still go back to that medical yeah. doctor, medical marijuana doctor, and see how you're doing and see the outcome. So he, he has a suggestive amount that I think you take. You will then go to the store, and that I think that card gets you through the door so you have access. So if you, if you didn't see a doctor in a year or so after your first, you can go back to do your recheck after a year. You won't, I don't think you'll be able to get it. But the state, you're registered, the state knows, and they, you're only given a certain amount and then you will go back to that doctor, I think, periodically to make sure, see how it is that he recommended, that you're taking the right amount, that you're not doing too much. Yeah. It's just like any prescription. You know, it's prescribed a certain way. You take one pill a day or two pills a day, and you're given so much a month. You don't want to take too many, okay? Yeah. Okay. 
So, um, but anyways, with medical marijuana, um, one case, um, Babudo is her last name, and I think it was in 2014, she had Crohn's disease, and she went for a job, and the, the company hired her, and um, it was a pre-employment test. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't do the pre-employment test before she, but she did start the job for a day, I guess. And she said that she had a med medical marijuana card, um, and... They have a zero tolerance for drugs, mm -hmm. and so her test came back positive for marijuana, and they fired her. They let her go. So she took them for, to court, and the first case, from what I understand, uh, the company won because they have a strong policy, yeah. and they have zero tolerance, and this is where we talk about strong policies. Um, I did mention to you earlier, a typical handbook, employee handbook, probably it depends on everybody's company, but there's probably one or two pages or a paragraph I've read on a drug-free work, a drug policy in someone's handbook, where my handbook is 20-odd 20 20 pages long to 30, and that's just drug and alcohol. So you really need a strong policy. And again, you need to follow it. If, you, if you're brought to court and the lawyer says, do you have a company policy of a drug-free workplace? Yes. Do you follow it? you got to follow what you put in it. And you yeah. make the decisions on how you're going to handle these situations when people are positive or are you going to test. Yeah. Okay. It's actually a really big area when you think about it. Like, because um, we have just a new business. Yep. You know, there's a lot of things that confuses people and they don't know what to do. And, yep. you know, when you start getting into the HR world, like you, you hire a couple of people and then a lot of times you're, you're so worried about paperwork and all that stuff that something like this would completely slip your mind. Right. Like, what do you do if someone comes in and they're higher drunk? Right. And you're like, usually it's after it happens that you're like, oh man, I need to do something about this. <laughs> well, so that's a good point. So again, and these are things we cover. So I work with employees all the time that are thinking of setting one up and we sit and talk about it. And we say, and I said, you know, why do you want it? Do you have safety sensitive positions? Yes, I do. And I'm worried. They're getting worried about marijuana. They're, you know, because it's recreational, they think people are gonna be doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but we're treating, if you think of to treat it like alcohol, when you come to work, we drink at night, but when you come to work, we're not drinking during the day. Yeah. With marijuana, the only situation is it stays in your body longer. I, mean, I know everyone's heard, alcohol is water soluble, uh, marijuana is fat soluble. So it stays in the fat, so it's released out in the system longer, and it can be still picked up in a urine. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where it causes a problem. So that's what's kind of confusing employees, employers um, with the testing. So again, a strong policy, you have to learn how, um, see how you're gonna handle things. Um, there is testing that can be done. Oral testing um, can help employers because um, it only goes back two days. But um, it all depends on, here's the thing about marijuana we gotta think about too. Back in when people were doing it in the 60s or 70s, the strength of marijuana was a certain strength, let's say. Right now, if you compare what the, what marijuana is now compared to what was, I'm hearing it's 30, say 35%, 40% stronger. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've gotten better over time about putting right. out stuff. And yep. 
and then in some situations people put harder drugs into it and well, so that's, there's a lot that's of that's true you got to be careful yeah lacing yeah. things with it and that's not good but just the actual marijuana yeah. and then vaping is a new thing yeah and um <laughs> yep. So they're vaping. So when they vape the um, THC, the mm -hmm. marijuana, it's the, the resin. They cook the marijuana down to that sticky brown stuff, mm -hmm. and that's what you're smoking. So that's that's about 80% THC that you're vaping. Yeah. And remember, when you vape, you're you know you're inhaling in on that vaping unit, and mm -hmm. um, you're pulling in all straight THC into your lungs. So it's very, very strong. Yeah. And the candies are 80-odd percent yeah. THC. And um, I know I love gummy bears. But, boy, I, <laughs> I, I can eat a whole bag of gummy bears. But, And the problem is kids are getting into it. Yeah. So kids and dogs, animals, they're eating things. Yeah. So vets, doctors, veterinarians are getting dogs that are coming in <laughs> passed out. High. Yeah. Or pa are passed out. Yeah. You know, they really have to work hard to bring that dog back. And the kids, kids are getting into it. many poisonings with kids. Yeah. And we, we heard about the Tide, the little Tide things. Well, it's the same thing. The pretty colors and different things, you got to really t keep the stuff out of the kids' hands. And, yeah. You know, they may get in the wrong hands. But, um, again, a strong workplace policy I can help with. So that's a drug-free workplace. It helps with employee training and supervisor training. Um, when a company puts out a drug-free workplace, there's no surprises. We're not being sneaky or nothing. The employees totally know. They sign. They read all this paperwork that say this company's going to stop this policy in so many days. And um, it gives people time to think about what they're doing. Or people that don't do drugs have no worries. They just go and get tested. The others, you know, sometimes they're always thinking of how they can dodge things or try to get through it mm -hmm. and at some point they're going to be caught they may not get caught the first time yeah but i think what i said to you a while back because um, i don't think i realized i was on the on the show yet <laughs> <laughs> and chris was kind of funny with that so <laughs> anyways um i want to say that you know i what i like to do is and the way i like to think of drug testing is that we're helping people helping people to find that there's a situation um, and what I mean by that is I don't want to be like, oh, here comes the drug lady, she's going to test and I'm going to lose my job or something like that. It's, um, we want to help people and, um, like I said, when someone's addicted and the brain's taken over, um, people try to stop or they do the hardest to, to do that and get help, but it doesn't happen. So by finding someone that might be positive for a drug, say one of the opioids, and this is mm -hmm. what's happened to a lot of people. Um, after some type of surgery and the doctor's given them medication and they took it and um, I've had some surgery and I've needed that medication you need you know you need it because you're in pain you have knee replacement or hip replacement you need it but only for a certain period of time I think so, so many people are frightened right now they're, they'd rather go through the pain of some of these surgeries than even they're afraid to get addicted yeah well, that's what I do like any time I have a surgery and yep. I've had some pretty significant ones I just don't take any medication after right <laughs> I mean it's miserable it's but, miserable you know, right well it does easier. other things yeah it's easier <laughs> right you're afraid I know well the, they're really working on doctors to give not as many pills and things like yeah. that but um, but people do get addicted and they can't get off. So this drug testing will help help discover that situation. 
And one part um, with DOT is, you know, when someone's doing drugs and they find it, um, depending on the company policy, by DOT, we want to help people. So there's a program that they have, an SAP, that you would go see, a substance abuse professional. Mm -hmm. And you can, keep, if you, you can keep your job, but, but you need to go through this program. And you're going to get counseling and see different people, and it, they decide how long what your situation is and why you're doing drugs. I mean, is it for a reason and you need more help? But you can then come back to work and that's when more testing comes in to help you stay clean, to, to be off the drugs. So we yeah. have, that's when we have the return to duty or the follow-up testing. And these are all good deterrents so that you can say to other people if you're on a weekend and someone offers you something, you've heard the saying, uh, no, I, I'm tested at work. Yeah. So, you know, they're even doing it in a lot of schools in different states. And that's, mm. a, that's a discussion for another day. But, yeah. Um, it's to help kids because kids, like I said, their brains aren't developed. Student, um, they're in their mid-20s or late-20s before their brain is fully developed. So yeah. they're doing these drugs in school. And you talk about the brain taking over, it's even quicker with them. And they, that hits that part of the brain that makes those tough decisions and they can't make them and now they're they're going in the wrong direction yeah so hmm. a lot of schools do it so the kids can say i'm tested at school so hopefully at some point schools are difficult um to get the, a program like that in but that's with time you know you never know but it's yeah. to help which i'm here to help people i'm not here i'm not to police people i want to help people yeah awesome Thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thank um, you. For people that want to reach out, maybe get some more information, set something up, how do they get in contact with you? Sure. So let's see. So I'm in Hampton. So my address, um, the best way is my phone number. So 603-974-1030-1030. That's my business line. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in Hampton, New Hampshire, um, 24 Stickney Terrace, Unit 5. I'm located inside a chiropractor's office, like I said, and that's in Hampton right off of Route 1 on Lafayette Street. Cool. So thank you, Chris. This has been wonderful. It's been fun. Did you learn a lot? Yes. Okay. A lot of drug, drug stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for watching, uh, and everyone have a great day. That's it for today, everyone, but it doesn't have to end there. Head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or iHeartRadio to get more from New Hampshire's top entrepreneurs.